seeing if y'all are paying attention already. Hope everybody's having a good morning and a, a good week uh, last week as we prepare for another week of service for the kingdom of God, should the Lord allow us to have it. Um, Philippians chapter 2, obviously this morning, if you're looking at the board there. Yeah. And uh, we're going we're gonna to turn our focus on to something that I've kind of, uh, most of my Christian life I've tried to keep in, the, in my mind as uh, not really a life verse, but just a kind of one of the core values of who we are as Christians, who we are as believers. We've talked about Jesus for many weeks and who he really is. We've talked about Satan and who he is. And what should we do about him? And a couple other things along the way. And now I want to talk some, somewhat about salvation, but really about who we are as Christians. Who are we? What, what is this about? And this is an ex, it's not going to be an exhaustive description of who are we. It's going to be one aspect, one reminder, one piece of encouragement about who the Christians are more so who the body of Christ is or the bride of Christ, right? That would be any of you who are saved by the blood of Christ are part of the body of Christ, considered to be the bride of Christ, right? And here's, uh, here's one of the issues that many people have who somehow get to the point where they confess Christ and are baptized and believe that they're saved by, because of those things. And somehow or another come into this understanding, and I, and I imagine it's because they have somehow believed in some lies from Satan, or the discipling process failed them to believe that they don't need to be a part of the church to be saved. That is the furthest thing from the truth, according to what I read in Scripture. In fact, uh, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. And the church in Philippi, Paul started this church with just a few people. He went into Philippi and he shared the gospel truth with just a few people. And they began a small congregation surrounded by uh, what, I, what we would consider darkness, surrounded by oppression, surrounded by political problems, surrounded by social issues, surrounded by everything that was against them when it comes to being the church and sharing the gospel with the world. And there this little church is in Philippi, functioning for the body of Christ. The entire letter to the Philippians is Paul saying, you guys are awesome. You guys are faithful. You guys are, are, are staying steadfast to what I taught you. In fact, you guys do such a great job, I'm, I'm, it brings me joy. To hear about what you do for the kingdom of God. Many of Paul's other letters to other churches have to do with some correction or some defending of false teaching or some reteaching or some kind of admonishment in that way. Not the Philippians. He's like, you guys are doing it. You guys are knocking it out of the park. And he's encouraging them to continue to do so. Continue to be faithful, continue to be steadfast and be strong, continue to be the light in the darkness, 
They weren't a mega church. Not when he first started that church. They were just a, a handful of people who believed that Jesus is the Christ, received the salvation that was promised to them by faith, and had the Spirit of God working within the believers there. And they were powerful. They were a bright, shining light in the darkness of that part of the world in that time. And that's all Paul was trying to do, was share the gospel around the world so that people and congregations would be built up to do that very thing. And ever since then, we've been trying to do the same thing. That's exactly what we're trying to do. We're trying to share the gospel in a dark world where people can know that they can be saved from their sins and escape some place we call hell, which is the absence of God, and live eternally in the presence of God, which is what we refer to as heaven. Here's the problem. Many times, that's all there is to our understanding of what it means to be saved. And I think I've mentioned this before. Your salvation and my salvation is not really about me, even though I'm involved, even though I reap the benefits of what Jesus did on the cross, right? I reap the benefits of what happened on the cross and my reaction to it. When I see that and understand that truth, and I say to myself, wow, this this here is true, and that means i got to do something about this. Of course, we understand reading in the book of Acts and several other places that we should repent of being a sinner, repent of being an enemy of God, so that we can receive the gift of salvation. Right? If we believe, we repent, and then the Bible tells us to be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, so that we can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus promised to the disciples and the rest of us. He said, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm giving you another counselor, another guide, someone who will lead you and guide you and teach you along the way. Well, where are we going? Where would we be going? If it's, if it's only about our salvation and us going to heaven, then why is there a need to go anywhere and do anything? That's where we read about Jesus' instructions in the gospel message about going into the world and making disciples. So that tells me that salvation, what happened on the cross, is as awesome as it is, is not simply about me and only me going to heaven. Or you, and only you going to heaven, or us. It's about God and his kingdom and what God is trying to do in the bigger picture. Because just like me, I was lost in my sin, and I was on a road to separation from God for eternity until I realized that I needed to change, and it's because someone else was out there making disciples and preached the gospel to me. So they were a light in the darkness. That's who we're reading about when we're looking at the scripture today. The purpose of the church in Philippi was to grow and reproduce themselves. And that should be the purpose of every church of believers, every congregation around the world. If we're not about reproducing who we are in Christ and others, then we are missing the point. And we are not about the work of the kingdom. And we are not being faithful to what we committed to when we said we wanted Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Let's look at verse 12 in chapter 2 of Philippians. 
And uh, by the way, don't think that just because I only got like two scriptures that it's going to be like 10 minutes. I'm trying, but you know, you know how it is. <laughs> I knew I'd get an amen eventually. Verse 12. <laughs> Verse 12 says, therefore, my dear friends, as you, I'll get, I'll get to the therefore in a minute. My dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. There it is. There it is right there. This is, not, this is nothing to the Philippian church that they haven't already been doing. That's why he says, continue to do this. Have you, as you have always been doing, continue to do this. So what is the therefore? Why does he say therefore? When Usually when somebody says therefore, it's because they've already made a point. Let's go back to verse 1 of chapter 2, which I do not have on the screen. You can see it in your Bibles. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being in one, one in spirit and in purpose. Talking about imitating Christ. Remember, uh, uh, I think it was in the Gospel of John, pretty sure about that, Jesus was praying, talking to the Father for not only the disciples, not only for himself, but for the believers, for those who would believe. And his prayer basically was that we would be one with him as he is with the Father. And, that, and he knew in that prayer that the only way that would be possible is if he went to the cross and opened up the door to the presence of God through the blood of Christ, making the perfect sacrifice. And if, and if that prayer is answered, and it is, if that prayer is to be answered, it would look just like what we just read in these first two verses. That we are, we are like-minded with each other because we are all one in Christ. And we're all being like Christ, so why wouldn't we be like each other? Like-minded, we would be unified in Christ. We would be one purpose in spirit as we move forward and make disciples. Make sense? So that's why he's saying, keep doing what you've always done, obeyed. Now, could be questioned what he's meaning by obeyed. Obey who? Right? Right there in, in, in verse 12. You've always obeyed, keep doing that. Obeyed who? I think he's saying you've obeyed the teaching that I brought to you and the teaching that about Jesus and the gospel, right? Which ultimately would really mean that he's obeying the teachings of Jesus. Maybe we could agree on that. So obeying is part of who we are as Christians, is it not? You don't have to amen that. You know it's true. <laughs> it's, hard to, it's hard to admit that we have to obey something, to submit to some authority in our life. It's pretty obvious in our world today that people are having issues with that. But when, we're, when we have surrendered, when we have accepted Christ, we're saying to ourselves, He is to be my Lord. And if we understand how lordship works, we don't say no to our Lord. It's not possible. Because if you say no, then he's not your Lord. So we just continue to obey the teachings that are brought to us by Christ 
in the ways that God brings them to us, namely through the teachings of the apostles and the word of God, through sometimes the Bible teachers and our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and Bible study. And the Holy Spirit, of course, reveals the truth in it all. See how that works. We just need to be ready to receive the information and allow God to help us with the obedience because this church, this church was in the habit of doing so. So much so that they, they had this relationship with Paul who started the church. And by the way, remember that Paul is in prison when he's writing to this church, encouraging them, right? Maybe even in some a little bit of discouragement in his own self because of the things that keep happening to him. This church, this little bitty church in Philippi, sent a man to, to be in jail with him, with Paul. You want to talk about serving each other. You want to talk about loving each other. You want to talk about being there for each other and lifting each other up when it's, when it's time to do so. They sent a man from the church and said, go be with Paul while he's in jail. Go, go, go help him. When's the last time you sent somebody to go sit in jail with somebody? Because they need you. <laughs> I don't remember being a part of that anywhere. I've been on some mission trips, and we've done some, some things to help some people because of the needs but I've never sent anybody to prison to sit with them. I've even been involved in prison ministries. But I've never sent someone to like pack up your stuff and go move over there and stay with him until his suffering is over. That's what they did. Why did they do that? Why do they do some things like that? Because that's what Jesus would do. Because that's what Jesus taught them to do. That's what Paul taught them it was like to be a Christian. When we suffer, we come alongside and we carry each other's burdens and we serve together. We serve one another in those ways. And he said, he, he's excited because he's not only in my presence, he says, but much more in my absence. You keep doing these things, meaning you don't need to be supervised, church. You, you, you don't need the apostle to be around to make sure you're doing it right. You don't need the preacher to be around to make sure you're doing it right. You don't need the elders to be around to make sure you're doing it right. Because we know that God is always around. We know that Jesus is always in here, in our hearts. We know that the Spirit of God is always with us and we're keeping in step with Him. And we're not alone in what we're trying to do for the kingdom. As an individual or as a congregation, because the reality is, in this writing to this church, all the verbs that he uses are plural in the original writing. Which tells me that he's talking to the body of believers there. He's saying to the church there, you all together keep doing what you are doing together. Keep pressing on as a church, as the body of Christ, as the members of the bride of Christ. Keep doing what you're doing and encouraging one another to do it together. Too many churches even today they, they come, we come to church and we say amen and sing the songs and we worship and it's great. But then when we leave, Monday, Monday through Saturday, we're on our own. And nobody in the world can tell. They might be able to tell that you believe that Jesus is the Christ or that you believe that you're trying to serve the Lord. But you, nobody knows that you're part of those group of believers over there because you're hardly ever with them. 
or you're hardly ever serving together or the, or the church isn't doing some of the things that we've been taught to do. And this is true for every congregation in the world from time to time. It's not a me serving God issue. It's not a me serving God task. It's a we serving God together program. That's the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be a part of the body of Christ. That's what it means to do the work that's laid out for us to do. So they're going to imitate Christ, and they're going to have the attitude the same as Christ. That's, the, that's what this church was about. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Homework, read verse 6 through 11 this afternoon and ponder what it says about Jesus and his attitude. Right? What is it? What it says, because he says, your attitude, verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And you say to yourself, okay, what does that look like? Well, we read all the way through to verse 11. And he starts describing all of those attitudes. And it would be beneficial if the church together understood all of that. If we would endeavor to be that way as a, as a body of believers. Here's the thing that here's the thing that gets misunderstood. There's too many times because we the biggest thing here is we struggle with the obedience issue. People for generations and ages have had this terrible problem with evaluating information to decide if we want to believe it or not or decide if it's true or not or decide if we want to accept it or not. And at the same time, we want to say that Jesus is Lord and the word of God is the absolute truth. And then when we take the teaching of Christ, we, we might try to change it because we don't like it. We might misunderstand it. We might, not, uh, we might skip over it. We might not study it at all. And therefore, it's impossible for us, if we function in those ways, to be the way that Jesus is. It's impossible for us to do what he taught because we don't know or we refuse to accept. Newsflash, I love you and the Lord loves you, but you don't get you don't get to vote on what Jesus says or doesn't say is right or wrong. You don't get to vote on what Paul was teaching, whether it's right or wrong. This is the inspired word of God, right? Hello? Is the, this is the inspired word of God, so it is true. And until we come to that conclusion, we will always fail at what we think we're doing. And it's usually because I got my salvation, so I'm good to go, and this is just if I ever want to get around to it thing. That is not the Christian life, is it? And I think we all know that. So why do we keep falling into the pattern of, I've been to church on Sunday, and I've been to Bible study, and I've read a few scriptures here and there. It's almost like we take our salvation and we, we categorize it and set it over here and then the rest of our life is over here. Right? But when we said we want Jesus to be our Lord and Savior, we say to ourselves, I surrender all. I think that's what we say because we sing it every now and then. And we sing it really loud. That's one of them songs that y'all are really good at singing because it's a great song and it, and it means something to us. At least we want it to be true, right? 
Some of y'all are sitting back saying, but, but preacher, it's hard. It's hard to surrender everything. And it is. I struggle with it every day. Every single day. I tell you what, let's all, let's all, let's all just spend the day driving around and see if we surrender all with the traffic. It's the simplest thing there is to evaluate your spiritual walk. Just take a drive. See how you react. It's not that it's it's not that it's the end of the world, but he says, work out your salvation. Let's see, let me go back. He says, work out your salvation. Work it out. It means there's something to do. I, I was I was debating all week. There's a recliner chair down there in Justin's office. And I was going to sit it right up here. And I was going to sit down in that chair and I was going to kick that thing back with a remote. And I was just going to act like I was watching TV. Just to give us a picture of what it looks like for people to think that salvation is just so they can go to heaven. They get saved and they crank that chair back and they don't do nothing else. And they're just waiting for God to pick them up. That's what, that's what happens. And that's not at all the case. All of us who are saved are saved for the purpose of serving the kingdom of God. Very simple. Go make disciples. There's harvest to be harvested. And the workers are few. We all say that we know those scriptures, but this is what happens. We just kick back and we're waiting for God to show up. And somebody to bring us some sweet tea while we're waiting. Yelling out, Jesus back yet? All right, let me know when he gets here. I know we don't really do that, but it's like the way we live sometimes, it, that's the what it looks like. Are we aware of what's going on spiritually all the time, every moment of our day? I'm talking about what happens on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. That's what I'm talking about. And Sunday afternoon. Because once we get out of here, we go to them restaurants, things might change. Especially now, because they're all busy and we got the COVID thing to deal with, and it's just a little bit more difficult. Are we being the church everywhere we are all the time? Are we working out your salvation with fear and trembling? Are you working it out? Are you exercising your faith? Are you talking to God about every little thing, good and bad? Sometimes just, sometimes I just think God is waiting on me to just stop everything and just say hi. Hey, God, Lord, I love you. Wouldn't it be nice if God's people, the ones he died for, would just come along and say, hey, just wanted to touch base with you. Instead of, I need this, I need that. Will you do this? Can we do that? I'm struggling with this. I fear for this. Nothing wrong with any of those prayers. But if we're talking and walking with him every day, all the time, it should be as if he's right here in the flesh. Always. It always, it always, it always amazes me. I don't know why it does, but it always amazes me when the preacher walks in the room and everybody changes their conversation. Or if they, get, they don't know the preacher's in the room and then they suddenly realize the preacher's in the room, they're like, oh, sorry, sorry, preacher. I, know, I realize they respect me as the preacher, but they're not realizing that God was there the whole time. Work it out. 
God knows what you struggle with. He knows where you're, you could use some help. He knows what you're doing well. Work it out. In other words, if you believe that Jesus is the Christ and you've committed to him as Lord and Savior and you consider yourself saved, you should be working it out with fear and trembling. Get it? Reverence for the holiness of God who sent his son to the cross so that you could be in his presence, even though you don't deserve it. The holiness of his Holy Spirit dwelling in you always. You should be well aware of that at all times. If you understand your salvation, if you understand what happened to you through Christ. I think about Jesus on the cross a lot. And I think about when we have communion on Sunday morning. I think about it at Easter time, obviously. I think about it whenever I'm convicted about sin, whenever I'm uh, needing grace. Whatever the case is, I'm thinking about Jesus on the cross and how much we don't deserve that and how powerful that was, and the power of God and his kingdom living within me, and how dare I not tremble over that? How dare I take that for granted and act like it's not that big of a deal, as if I deserve something? I'm not trying to make y'all feel bad, but I'm letting the Lord do what he wants to do. If you don't tremble in the presence of God, there's something wrong with you. You need to go sit in my office and pray about it a little bit. Especially if you think you're saved. If you're not saved, if you don't believe you're saved, if you're not, you don't even know what salvation is, then let's talk about that. Because that's the first thing that needs to happen. There's no fear and trembling. There's no working out of any salvation until you get saved. You're not saved by works. You're not saved by anything you do. You're saved because you believe that Jesus is the Christ. Once that happens, the process of sanctification begins, and that's the working out of your salvation. Remember, the verbs are in plural. He's talking to the church. I got to do my part. You got to do your part. But we got to do our part together as part of the body of Christ. We have to work out who we are in Christ, who we are as a witness to this community. We have to work it out so that it honors God. By the help of the Holy Spirit, of course. And we do it with fear and trembling. It's way too, way too many of us, way too many days we go by acting just, oh, I'm saved and I'm a Christian and I'll just go live my life and do what I want to do and not even acknowledge that in a day's time. It's, it, it's, it's, it's scary because it's, it, it's true for all of us, I think, at times. We get so busy trying to deal with what's going on in the world, somehow we've forgotten the cross. Not that we rejected it. Not that we have forsaken it or anything like that. We just, it's, we're not aware of the magnitude of what's going on in us. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit and the salvation that comes through Christ. We're not aware of the light that's supposed to be shining out of us because of what God is doing in us. And we, and we can get discouraged about what God is doing or what He's not doing or what we don't see because we're... We're not focused on the right things. And these people, the Philippians, all they were concerned about is, do you know what happened on the cross? Do you know Jesus? Do you know what the gospel is? Do you know you can be saved? You see how dark it is out there. You don't have to live in the darkness of this world. You don't have to live in the fear that comes from even what's going on in our world today. 
we, yeah, we have to deal with it, and we are exposed to it, but we're supposed to be the interaction that lights it up. We're supposed to be the solution to it through Christ. And if people don't look at every church congregation that considers themselves Christian and see a light shining in the darkness, then there's something wrong with that congregation. There's something that needs to be fixed, something that God wants to do in their lives, in their congregation, that would change everything. That's why you work it out. It's a job. It's a working it out. It's, a, it's an effort. There are no recliners in the kingdom of God. Somebody can quote me on that. I don't think any other preacher has ever said that. Look at verse 13 together. Try to wrap this up here. For it is God who works in you. Somebody say amen to that. Because what that means is Jesus said, go into the world and make disciples. He said, go into the world and help people get saved. Tell people about me. But he, that tells me, what I just read says, that I'm not going to do the work. I'm just a vessel. I'm just going to go and be what? Obedient. Just be available and go do. Take every opportunity that the Lord presents to go and do the work. Because James tells us that faith without deeds is what? It's, de it's dead. It doesn't exist. It's dead. You can say you believe all you want to, but if there's no deeds, if, if the Spirit of God's not driving you to do something, there's no faith. And you've, you've been fooled about your own heart. He says, for if it is God who works in you, here's the purpose, to will and to act according to his good purpose. Wow. Okay, so God's doing the work in me, praise the Lord, because if I was doing the work in me, then I'd mess it up and it would be pretty bad for everybody. But God's doing the work in me here to will so that I would have the will, so that I would want to get out of the recliner and get involved in what God is doing. If you don't have a desire to do anything for the sake of someone else's soul, then we need to go back and talk about salvation for you. Because Jesus died on the cross for everybody. And if somebody, if anybody thinks that Jesus died so that you can be saved and that's it, you're in trouble. Who, who am I that Jesus would single me out and out of a crowd of sinners and say, yeah, I'm going to get this one, but not the rest of them. No. That's so prideful. I would pr we need to pray about that, because there's a lot of people living in the world that, seem, that, that think that way. He says, God who works in you to will, to want to be a part of what the kingdom is doing, and not only want to, but to actually act. There's a difference between wanting to do something and actually doing it. I, I want to run a half marathon. Why are you laughing? I do want to do it. It just ain't going to happen. <laughs> just let you know. I want to do it, but it just ain't going to happen. I got a lot of excuses, and I got a few reasons. There's a lot of people that want to serve God, but they don't. There's a lot of people that want to worship Him, but they don't. 
There's a lot of people that want to love others for the reasons that God wants them to, but they don't. Some people's want to is broke, but other people's do is broke. Right? You see what he's saying? This church here, not only was their want to working good, but their doing was working good. And if there's no doing, it doesn't matter what the want is because that means there's no really no faith. If the city was burning to the ground right now, and we knew about it, and it seemed like some people in the community didn't know about it, would we just sit here and continue to sing our songs and read our Bible? Or would we run out in the streets and knocking on doors and trying to get people to come out and realize that the city's burning down? That's the gospel, y'all. That's the gospel message. This world is in decay, and it will end. The entire world will be, will be over. Jesus will come back one day, and it will all be said and done. No one is escaping that reality. The question is, who's going to live for eternity with the Lord in his presence, and who will live for eternity without the Lord in his presence? We have the answer. And we should be trembling in our hearts We should be fearful for the souls of the lost and we should be trembling at the idea that they might not get the message or receive it. We should lose sleep over other people's souls instead of losing sleep over the worries of our own lives. So it's God who does all these things so that we can want to and then do something for what? For His good purpose. For his purpose. His good purpose. What's his good purpose? Well, what did Jesus die on the cross for? Jesus died for the sole purpose of making sacrifice for the sins that we committed. And he did that so that we could have opportunity to say, yes, that God is real and Jesus is the Christ and we're sinners and we need that. It's our only hope. That's enough for me. And I pray that I can stay faithful to that. So, you must possess salvation. You have to have it first. You have to be saved. All right? That's all by faith. But then the doing is part of God completing the work in us. Sanctification. Being made holy. Because he's holy. Salvation is God's work in us becoming his work through us. God wants to touch the world with his love, and he does it through his church, his bride. He does it through the congregations working together for the sake of the gospel. Fear and trembling is the key. Now let's look at these two as we close, verse 14 through 16. Verse 14 through 16, here's, here's what it says. Do everything without complaining. I know somebody's like, oh, man. Do, do everything without complaining or arguing so that you may become what? This is what God wants for you. So that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault. That's that's a tall order, isn't it, y'all? Say yes, say amen. You know it is. It's a tall order for me. I don't even deserve to be standing up here because of that. But God wants me to be blameless. He wants me to be pure. He wants me to be his children 
his child without fault. That's the only way to stand before God. The only way I know to get there is through Christ. But there's work to be done. We have to obey and submit to that stuff. Look what else he says in that sentence, though. He says, we're out without fault in a crooked and depraved generation. This was true in the days of the Philippians that, that, was, this, that was at this church. But oh, is it, is it so true today? Isn't it dark out there? Isn't it, isn't it wicked out there? Isn't Satan having his party in our world that we live in? Seems to be getting his way. We already know that that's going to happen. We already know that Jesus said that was going to happen. And it's not going to change for the better. I think it's better for the churches to focus on what God wants us to do. Be pure. Be holy because he's holy. Be blameless in a world that everybody's being accused of wrongdoing. Oh, they're still going to accuse you. Don't get me wrong. But it's just not going to stick. Because you're in Christ. It says, in which you shine like stars in the universe. Now, I look up at night and the stars are kind of small looking to me. They're bright, but they're small. But can you imagine being up close to one of them stars? Sunglasses ain't going to cut it. That's the church. For people that are far away from God, the light that we shine will just be kind of small to them. But it'll be a light. It'll get their attention. And the closer they get to God, the more light is shed into their world. And they'll be able to see the wickedness of Satan in their life. And they'll be able to see the need for, for grace through the cross of Jesus Christ. Then they'll have a choice. They can repent or they can continue on in their sin. That's all. That's what we're saved for. That's why we're still here. That's why, that's why when we get saved, we're not just instantly taken to be in the presence of God because there's work to be done. There's things to do. There's disciples to be made. There's working out our own stuff. We, God's still trying to pry things out of your hand that don't honor him. Work it out. Work it out together. Right? Work it out. Shoot. Went too far. You know, you can't have verse 12 without verse 13. Verse 12 is all about salvation. Verse 13 is all about working it out before men. Remember, as, 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 as great and awesome as salvation is, as awestruck as we are about the fact that we're saved and don't deserve to be saved, right? As crazy as it is to think that God would love us that much, as, as amazing as it is, because you know what you've done, I know what I've done. And there's a lot of things that I've done that have offended God that I'm not going to talk about. Because it, I'm not proud of. But yet here I am. Look at what God is doing. And I'm not bragging, I'm, I'm talking about what God is doing. With a broke down sinner that don't deserve any part of God's grace. 
and struggles to work it out. But we press on. Why? Why do I keep working it out? I've already got my salvation. I'm confident in that. I have no doubt whatsoever that if I die today, I'm going to be with the Lord. If Jesus comes back before I get done with y'all, I'm going to be with the Lord. I have no doubt about that. So why do I keep working so hard to work it out? Because somebody's watching me that needs to be saved. Or there's some other brother in Christ that's struggling that needs some help or sister. And they're watching me. How dare I quit? How dare I give it up? When Jesus hung on the cross the way he did for me. How dare we as a congregation just say, oh, there's a virus, let's just quit. I'm not saying that's what we're doing. There's many churches that are thinking that way because they're discouraged and defeated. We've forgotten what Jesus has done for us. We've forgotten who we are and what we're about. I'm not saying be reckless about the virus. I'm not saying be reckless about the things that go on in the world. I'm saying stand firm in who we are because Jesus is Lord. And let's keep working out our salvation so that others can see Jesus and be saved. Because that's what it means to make disciples. I love you, and the Lord loves you. You need to be saved. If you're online, you need to be saved. Or if you're in here, just get a hold of me, and we'll talk about it. We'll get, it, we'll get you there. We'll get you where you need to be. After that, let's get together, and let's work out our salvation and continue on. You ready to sing? Let's stand together. We're going to sing. If you have a decision to make, come forward. Uh, if not, sing like Jesus died for you.